actually, we wanted to have some special music today. Uh, we are at uh, AUVSI, Unmanned Systems 2014, and uh, we have a few revelations from the show, and uh, I don't even know if I want to go through the special music, because that might even be more of a problem, but um, anyway, we uh, are live at AUVSI, Unmanned Systems 2014. Last year, this was a pretty popular show. Um we had over 17,000 downloads on that one, so I figured we'll do it again. Uh, this week, we are in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, we have our, our co-host today, Gene Robinson. Are you out there, Gene Robinson? I am, Patrick, and this is a little bit of a switch for us. You're in the field this time, and you're doing the reporting. Good job, man. I think it's going to be a great show. It has been a, it has been a good show. It has been a good show. Um you know, I, I was going to play the special music. I don't even know if this is work, will work, but uh, it's in kind of commemorate uh, some of the news that we heard here. Let's see. That'll work. Does not seem like it's not going. All right. Well, anyway, we'll, uh, Frank Zappa, uh, Nanook of the North, and that was to... Uh, <laughs> Commemorate the commercial type certifications for AeroVironment Puma and in situ Scan Eagle for work on the shelf. I personally am updating my resume and doff, dusting off my mucklucks because there's work on the shelf. Um, if you can get it, it's limited work, but uh, there there is some up. There. Anyway, okay, well, yeah, jumping right in here, I want to introduce uh, today's guest. What I usually like to do is do like a little roundtable and get some insight from uh, people that are at the show, and we have Jay Wilmot. Jay, are you out there? Good morning, Patrick. Gene, how are you all this morning? Great. Doing good. We also have Jeff Bland. Uh Jeff, are you out there? Hey, good morning, Patrick. Jeff here. All right, that's good. Uh, both of these guys have been on the show before, but, um, you know, it was customary. Maybe you didn't listen to those shows. So what I'd like you to do is, uh, Jay, could you could you possibly give people a little little bio about yourself? And uh, I know you're, you're kind of a um, – you've been at this for a little while, so, so maybe you could give the folks a little brief, a brief bio of yourself, what you're doing now. Patrick, this is my 27th consecutive AUVSI show. I've been in the industry for a lot for half my life. Okay, do the math. And I'm uh, mostly as a manufacturer. Uh, I've worked to, on a number of different programs: Dragon Eye, X Drone, uh, what became Tiger Shark. I've had the privilege of working with Jeff Land at NASA Waltz on, on testing and, and uh, electric flight. And uh, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I, I think it's a it's a great show. I'll agree with Gene on that. It looks like it's going to be a good show and. Uh, Jeff and I had an opportunity to help organize a uh, session uh, for tethered and light and air systems, which are new this year. So I, it's, I'm uh, real excited about about this year. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna delve into that on this show because that was that was pretty exciting. But uh, Jeff Bland, could you do the same, please? Sure. Um, I'm Jeff Bland, and I've been at the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center for. Well, about 30 years at Wallet's Flight Facility, and have been working um, on manned aircraft for the Earth Science, uh, the Earth Science side of the house for about uh, 20 of those. We're trying to use uh, UAS to fill in the gaps for um, our uh, satellite measurements, 
and complement our airborne science program. So, of course, working with industry and folks like Jay uh, on a number, a number of platforms, and part of the uh, part of the challenge is also the sensor side, getting the uh, sensors on the airplanes and uh, getting the data back to the scientists and the researchers and the uh, decision makers. So, learning a lot of the show, uh, it's uh, pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, and and maybe we can uh, we can even start off right there with the the tethered, um, let's say, merging opportunities for tethered systems that uh, that we uh, actually everyone on this call except for Gene uh, spoke at and uh, was a, um, a joint effort between AIAA and AUVSI and and. Uh, you know, maybe we could we could talk about that because that was a little bit of a groundbreaking thing where you have the two, let's say, associations come together and and work together, which is kind of groundbreaking. Jeff, you want to go first on that one? Well, sure. Yeah, I really want to uh, say thanks to the uh, leadership of both organizations, AIAA and AUVSI, for agreeing to uh, work together. And uh, one of the things that uh, has e- kind of emerged over the last several years is in conjunction with the UAS work. We've done a lot of atmospheric work with uh, tethered balloons. Uh, recently, I've done um, several several years of work with, uh, with kites. And um, again, it goes back to the miniaturized instrumentation that is uh, suitable for UAS. And so as we develop this, these instruments, one of the uh, quick ways to, to test them has been on uh, tethered balloons at Wallops and kites in the field, and it's uh, translated to uh, several several research opportunities and uh, activities, as well as uh, some work in the education community. So um, talking with, with several people, yourself and, and Jay, it became pretty clear that um, there's a wide, wide variety of things you can do if you, if you have a string on, on something flying, and that includes making FG or... Uh, or carrying large payloads, or um, looking at at uh, some some pretty pretty new capabilities. So this was this is a very um, uh, this is just the beginning of what we hope to be a a dialogue and 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 really kind of focus on some of the technical challenges. Right, right. And I want to I want to circle back to that, but I want to give Jay a chance too to to say something about the uh, about that session, which he was also a speaker. Well, I think Jeff hit it on the head. It's, it's, it's good to use a string. That's maybe the only way to get some things up in the air because of this, <laughs> the hurdles that we still face with the NAS access. Um, and, you know, I've encouraged a number of the quad manufacturers, just, just put a string on it. I think sometimes we get hung up on the need for, uh, you know, GPS navigation when for many applications we simply need to get up in the air, just straight up. Yeah. and look down on, on uh, a roof or an accident scene or whatever it may be. And so the, the tethered systems are absolutely viable, as are, as are towers. And uh, these are, are viable alternatives that are available today and can go up in the air immediately. So, and I also agree that this was a, something of a groundbreaking uh, event and that these two associations found a way to work together to enhance the experience of both of their their member groups. Uh, and I, I see this as a template 
for future cooperation with other associations. AVSI is a is chock a block with uh, all kinds of uh, uh, marketing and, and uh, advocacy efforts, and we we don't always have time because we're spread out over so many different domains of ground and underwater. Don't always have time to give each of them the attention that they deserve, and certainly not in the technical depth for things like propulsion or communications or any of the digital. So I see that opportunities exist to scale both organizations' events up and have additional shows, perhaps. So you could bring in SAE for ground robotics or IEEE for you know, communications and the electronics piece. So I, I think it's a, a foreboding of where we're going to go, and it's, I think it's a good thing. The quality of our experience is going up as a result. And I know uh, from our experience uh, in our sessions, the quality of the presentations was uh, was exceptional. I'll second that. I, I thought the uh, presentations were pretty good. Um, interesting to see what people are doing. And it's, sometimes people discount the the tethered systems, but uh, you know, I'm Jeff. You used the uh, the the kite for for work on the volcano project, correct? Uh, that's correct. One of the uh, elements for our research and in looking into uh, in-situ measurements for volcano plumes uh, are kites. We also uh, use tethered balloons, and we use uh, UAS. So we use all three all three platforms combined with ground ground observations. And again, we're taking in-situ measurements inside the plume and looking at the gases and the particles. And these are measurements that we can't get from space. But by using these uh, relatively lower altitude uh, tools, we're able to get the measurements and correlate them with our space observations. Right. So and then what? Uh, really, uh, oh, I do want to make one. Sorry, Patrick, but one one uh, one advantage of the kites, particularly, is um, we go to rather remote sites, and the Turrialba volcano that we are using as a as a laboratory is uh, rather remote, and getting the equipment in there is quite a challenge. So the kites have really helped that as, as well. It's pretty easy to pack them in. Right. And the other one I wanted to talk about, too, is it uh, was the gentleman's name, uh, Kurt, that's flying here in the D.C. freeze? Sure. Yes, Kurt Westergaard. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, some people say, oh, well, you know, these these are balloons or old technology or whatever, but here Kurt's flying uh I you know several blocks from the White House, so yeah, there's not there's not a lot of uh, opportunities here in the freeze to fly. So that you know this guy's uh, found a way to work within the system and actually uh, use this technology in a highly regulated place. So uh, you know I don't think I would discount the the tethered systems. There's there's definitely viability there. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, yeah, so you know I mean they're all tools in the toolbox. But that was a great and, session. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, just a comment on, on Kurt's work. Part, again, is the sensors that he's using are kind of uniquely adapted to a tethered system, and he's able to uh, to get some unique imagery, uh, particularly for architecture that, uh, that otherwise would be um, uh, not possible at the level of precision that he's getting for these for these structures. Right, the stationary right. and the slow movement is a uh, is a very key feature for for obtaining the precision that he's after. 
Right, yeah, and he's doing um, he's doing some work uh, with uh, heat leaks, and then also uh, I guess uh, water water infiltration uh, with that. Mm-hmm. But that was a good one. I think uh, you know the other what we went to a session yesterday, and I didn't see you in there, Jay, but it was uh, it was pretty full, and uh, it was the session on uh, some of the progress for uh, sure. U.S. integration into the NAS. And uh, that room was pretty full. I know Jeff was there. Jeff, made some of your impressions from from uh, Mr. Jim Williams' speech or presentation? Well, I thought, yeah, I, th- I thought it was um, pretty encouraging. At least the uh, the NASA NASA sponsored uh, Mizopex uh, mission that we just uh, completed in uh, the slope of Alaska. Jim Atlantic from University of Colorado was the uh, the principal investigator. And uh, Jim specifically called out that that uh, that exercise, that that the experiment, was uh, key for helping them formulate uh, future future plans for for um, uh, similar operations. So that was that was encouraging to hear that that was an example. Uh, it was a ton of work into those preparations, and it seemed to pay off. Yeah, it uh, definitely is kind of a interesting, you know. After perspective, but uh, also, you know, you did talk about that that uh, effort or that use, and then also the use, the ConocoPhillips use of uh, the Scan Eagle for uh, kind of survey for for oil exploration. And uh, you know, I I don't want to be critical, but I mean, you know, that was that was going on for a while, and I think that's been legitimized. Um, and they are both. It is encouraging, but uh, you know. Gene, as a small manufacturer, I mean, I know that you've probably done a little research on the commercial type certification. What, what, what's your view of that from the outside? Well, again, uh, from what I've discovered so far is that uh, that type certification is still a quite lengthy process, and it is quite expensive. And one of the very difficult things is is having the amount of flight time that is available or that that is required to uh, to, to satisfy some of the requirements to get in that type of certification. And really, the only place that you have to do that is somewhere outside Conus. And mm-hmm. so, if, if you haven't if you haven't made those sorts of connections, and you're not out, you know, in Valle you know, Guadalupe in Mexico, Mexico flying. Um, you know, you, you've, you, you're kind of at a disadvantage there. So um, until we get, uh, I, you know, I know they've, they've started with the training COAs and stuff like that, and there haven't been, been a whole lot of agencies that have grabbed onto the training COA concept and worked with it because even that tends to be a bit intimidating. So it, it's very difficult, and, and we're, we're starting to see that bottleneck where the few that do make it are going to be the ones that do the most flying. So, um, you know, we've still got a ways to go, and, you know, the, the small guy out there like, like me and some of the other folks out there that are trying to, to head toward that type surf, cert will be probably very late in the game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, it has been, uh, depending upon who you ask, some say, oh, it wasn't so bad, and others, well, it was kind of arduous. Um, it's been a long time coming. Both of those companies have spent a lot of money. Uh, with this effort, and uh, you know, well, it's a, it's a little bit of a victory. Um, I, I definitely wasn't in the back cheering on that one. I mean, it, you know, it's okay. I just don't see it very 
let's say, level playing field. Anybody want to add to that? Sure, I'll add to that. I think that what it shows us is that FAA is going to uh, have a very high bar for what's acceptable under the NAS. And I guess I'm okay with that, but the, the, the field isn't level because the systems that have been certified have been the beneficiary of, of DOD programs, whereas everyone else has been shut out of those programs. So the, the amount of time that's been logged, and I, I certainly respect the, the effort and the investment that these companies have made, but they have been the direct beneficiary of programs of record and have logged most of the flight hours that were required to achieve the certification as a result of, of you know, thoroughly funded programs. So the little guy doesn't have much of a shot at being able to do that, and that's that's going to be unfortunate. I think the little guy and the, the smaller systems' best hope is that we will see a small rule that will perhaps waive some of the requirements for these types of certifications as, you know, as we go forward. And then thank you, Jay, because I didn't want to be the uh, the guy beating that one. I've, I get a little feedback about the podcast that people are like, well, you're kind of like an Eeyore. You know, you, you know the FAA. So thanks for backing me up on that one. Jeff, any comments on, on the last subject, sir? Yeah, sir. I, uh, I agree. I think um, everybody's really, uh, really anxiously awaiting, especially the uh, SUAS uh, regulations. And so, as you noted, the uh, the comment period uh, hopefully will open open on the uh, on the the uh, the plan later this year. And so, I, I would imagine that uh, they'll be they'll be uh, looking at all the responses. And so, I would encourage everybody to 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 comment at uh, as they see fit because um, I think they need the feedback. I, I sometimes wonder if the um, if the full scope and capabilities uh, are really, really uh, clearly, clearly in the minds of, of those that are that are uh, making these regulations. Yeah, well, that was another thing that was uh, was announced uh, that the 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 NPRM would be out by the end of this calendar year. That was that was one of the the big news announcements. So it's coming. Um, you know, there were a few other things I think that were relevant. Another comment that was made, and it was surprising to me, is um, a reporter from Reuters asked, you know, hey, uh, if you're a farmer, can you buy a drone and use it for yourself? And, uh, you know, the, the, the answer to that question was yes. If you're a farmer and you're not, you know, no money is exchanging hands, you can use an, uh, an unmanned aircraft. However, you should follow the 400-foot and 1,500-foot lateral uh, AC-9157 rules. Uh, but, yeah, you can go ahead. And, uh, I mean, to me, <clears throat> that kind of runs counter to, you know, the commerce thing where I've heard, you know, it's like if you're either making money or you're a hobbyist. I don't know many hobby farmers, but, um, you know, business plans right now, everyone's talking about ag. I'd be at every agricultural show was, you know, the overalls on and the the wheat stock out of my mouth and the hat on, and I'd be selling these things. I'd be marketing them to farmers because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that was the green light to sell to farmers. Jeff, did, what did you hear? Did you hear something different, or is that what you heard? Well, I heard that, too, and um, I think uh, some clarification may be in order here because, um, you know, clearly the, the uh, model airplane guidance 
for being focused on hobby and recreation. And as you noted, the uh, recreational farms are mm, generally kind of thin. Um, so I think some clarification, you know, where's the transition? If it improves revenue, well then, uh, you know, let's we we need to we need to at least that's that's a very good uh, an extremely good role for these systems, and it would be um, if that indeed was the case. Uh, but that was kind of surprising to hear that answer. Well, and I mean, it came right back down to if it's not, you know, no money is changing hands, but that's not what we're seeing. Is that what you're seeing, Gene? I know, you know, a lot of the stuff you do is volunteer, but that's not what you're, is that what you're seeing? That it's not commerce and you can do whatever you want? Negative. That's, uh, we've been told in the past. And again, this is something that I'm going to have to look into as well, because as a 501c3, a nonprofit IRS-recognized charitable organization down here providing unmanned aircraft services, we've been told that if you are doing it on an official basis, then it is not allowed. It's uh, disapproved, and that's been given to us several times. We've we never get paid for it. We don't ask for pay. So uh, that that uh, comment kind of raised my eyebrows too, and I fully intend to look into it a little bit closer and find out how that works because most of the farmers that I know, you know, they they do a lot of neat things while they're waiting for their crops to grow, but most of them don't fly RC or model airplanes. Mm. But well, their their friend down the you know over in the next next section, he might he might have a kid that's pretty good at it. So you know, hey, why don't we bring little Johnny over and have him fly my crop and just take some pictures and see what it looks like? And you know, uh, we'll give him five bucks so he can go down to the malt shop and get him a a malt. Well, that's a commercial operation, you know, th- and that's an area. So I I'm gonna have to look into that one a little bit further. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that's not like something that was, uh, you know, uttered in confidence. Again, that was an answer to a question by, a, you know, that uh, came up by a Reuters reporter. So, I mean, technically, you know, I don't know. I, none of this stuff really makes any sense. But uh, I'm going to say, you know, that's that's the uh, party line, man. Go with it. But I, mean, I could see if you own a farm, 5,000 acres, I mean, it's an advisory circular, circular. I'm buying a, you know, I could buy a scan eagle and go nuts. Um you know, and maybe it might be a steep learning curve for Farmer Brown to buy and learn, but you know, I don't know. I, I you know, I'm not a lawyer. I didn't stay at a La Quinta or a Holiday Inn, but uh, if I was selling them, I'd be at the ag shows going bananas selling these puppies to farmers. Um, I, yeah, again, it's kind of a, a strange deal. I did ask another question about autopilots. And, you know, how those would factor into the hobby regs for certification, because that's another one. I mean, if you're if you're going to say some hobby guy or if we're talking about safety, some hobby guy can just do whatever he wants with an autopilot uh, and then there's certification for the commercial guy. I mean, I, I, I the, the whole safety thing seems there, there's a little skew there. Anybody kinda, uh, care to comment on that? Yeah, I'd, I'll be happy to comment on that one. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, you, you've got a guidance system, you've got all the components that uh, they've been talking about that they want to keep out of the nest. But we see more and more people are coming up with some really competent and capable autopilots. 
call them wing levelers, call whatever you whatever you want. Uh, but they they have uh, more than three waypoint or waypoints to navigate to. Then they can be used in a lot of different scenarios. And I I really don't understand how you know you can get out there and that's just that was a good question. I, I'm I'm kind of up in the air about that one and and see how that's going to come down come out of come down to into the NAS. That's just kind of crazy. Go ahead. Well, it was a little bit of a dance around on that one, but I, I will say that, that uh, you know it was tossed over to uh, ASTM, and they are working on certification for um, autopilots. And I'm going to say that you just you know from my limited experience, that that's going to probably mimic certain systems, and uh, you know, uh, certain programs of record systems. Anybody care to comment on that? I think that's reasonable. And when you look at the qualifications that systems like autopilots have to undergo to be put on a, on a manned platform, you know, I think that, you know, capable is in the eye of the beholder. I think if we're going to operate in the NAS, then we want to make sure that the hardware is safe and proven. I think that's prudent. I do think it's prudent. However, uh, I'm, I, you know, and I don't. Here's Eeyore coming out. We're going to let him try them out. But uh, you know, I haven't been. I haven't worked with the standards groups for a while. And I would. I had actually. I, I think it would behoove the community for some of the people that have worked on the standards to revisit the standards groups here. They say they're almost completed. Their standards are almost completed and ready to be published. And I think now is the time to talk to people on the floor about this. This community really has to fund their own act if they, they think they're going to get anywhere. And I think now is the time for people that were part of this to revisit this because I have a feeling that we would not be happy. Even though I keep hearing them, it comes up and it's logical progression for autopilot certification is to take the the PORs that have come back from the theater that have worked and use them as a standard. However, the catch-22 in that is that you will essentially remove that from the hobbyist realm. And they will not be able to to go out and try to fly their aircraft and and innovate as many hobbyists have done in the past. It's just an unfortunate circumstance. Yes, I'm in there, Patrick. I think one thing that uh, everybody's got to be caution, uh, caution, um, or exercise caution with is the technology is wrapping, is uh, evolving so rapidly that you know we don't want to preclude these capabilities. The the advances in autopilots in just the last uh, handful of years is amazing, and what you can do for you know 50 grams of of mass is is quite impressive these days, and so. We don't want to miss miss the uh, the capabilities that these things will. Bring. And again, I'm not sure that's being captured. You said suggested perhaps a review of the ASTM standards uh, reflecting the latest technologies is in order. I believe it's in order, and I believe that it's it's something you know that 
people should invest in right now because uh, this stuff's going to hit the street. The FAA is going to take it internally, and they're going to review it. It will have to be, let's say, vetted by them. But uh, I'm, you know, my my thing is, it's been this for for years, and it's it's it is coming true. Um, you know, and when we did kind of talk about that, where you have these systems that are programs of record, they've spent you know millions of dollars and all the rest of that, and they were taxpayer funded dollars because they were contracts, and there was there was uh, you know these programs had to be built, and I did kind of have issues with. I mean, I called the the deal where you're going to take all of your your military program that you built and you're going to bring that to the FAA and go, here you go, and then they're going to go, okay, and rubber stamp it. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Total, totally unfair uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, people like Gene, you're at a total economic disadvantage, Gene. And I'm sure that's quite obvious, but uh, you know, where where were the hundreds of millions of, of dollars of contracts that facilitated all of the that program for you? Did you get well, the check? You know, one thing, one thing that he's right. One thing that I would like to throw out there is, uh, you know, as Jeff mentioned, this area is evolving and developing so rapidly. Is a standard that is published today going to be valid? Six months down the road, or, or, or are we going to have the space shuttle flying with you know three three eighty six computers on it? Because that's the standard. That's a good analogy. Anyone else care to comment on that? <laughs> uh, you don't want to be. Nobody else wants to be Eeyore. What's going on here? <laughs> Corner in the market. <laughs> on the doom and gloom. You know, one of the things that um, that can happen, again, the size of the system um, gets dramatically smaller and smaller and smaller with the with the miniaturization of the uh, of the autopods and the size of the, the aircraft themselves are getting smaller and smaller. And with the sensor miniaturization, it does point to safety, where it's a direct a direct contributor to the total kinetic energy, which is uh, part of the hazard. So. If uh, if autopilots no longer have to be packaged in shielded metal boxes uh, and instead are at the board level, well then picture the um, the the translation to what that does to the total vehicle mass. So, you know, for every every 10 grams of autopilot that you save, you're probably saving 40 or 50 of, of total airframe weight because you don't have to carry the thing. Right, right. That, that goes well, right back to. And right back to to capability. Right, right. Well, okay. And then we're going to march in the next segment. But we've got to. Uh, I got to pay the bills here. I'm going to just play this uh, advertisement or sponsor for today's podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by Hood Technology, experts in advanced EO IR gyro stabilized four axis imaging systems for small UAS. The company offers low swap payloads, integrating EO. Mware and lasers to provide unparalleled long-range imaging from moving platforms. Visit www.hoodtech.com for more information. H-O-O-D-T-E-C-H.com. And you can also visit their booth here at the uh, the AUBSI. And I thank our sponsors, Hood Tech, for uh, sponsoring the podcast today. Yep, thanks, Hood Tech. Well, now, the, and the other thing, and there's a, you know, I want to march into the second segment, and I think that uh, now we'll talk about uh, kind of the, 
the business climate down there on the floor. And I will say that I am present or very pleasantly surprised that uh, a lot of people read the SUS news, and I just have to say thank you for that. Um, you know, there's a lot of good feedback about the, the what we're trying to do at SUS News, and people appreciate that we are trying to disseminate information uh, for the whole community and also trying to put the information out there about uh, – uh, you know, safety and, and some of the concerns that the small business community has. And, uh, you know, that, that feedback is very, very, uh, it's welcomed. And also, you know, a lot of people have talked about SUS News and wanting to advertise and support what we're doing, and I'm I'm happy about that. So we'll probably get a few more uh, sponsors, which is which is great. and allow us to uh, be at more of the shows and attend more of these um gatherings and whatnot and so we can bring the information that's relevant to light but i do want to talk about the business climate down on the floor i will say everyone is a buzz about agriculture jay what say you did we lose well, jay <laughs> go ahead my take on my take on agriculture patrick is that we have a, a robust agricultural aviation industry in this country today and it's mostly engaged in delivering chemicals to the ground. And those require some very large systems that I don't see here. I see a lot of small systems. I see a lot of remote sensing capability. And good on the farmer if he's willing to take the FAA up on their invitation to acquire and use systems under the current model rules. I think that's going to launch a lot of explorations into the, the viability um, and the benefits of, of remote sensing for ag aviation that for some reason, inexplicably, we really haven't seen the, the ag aviation community embrace uh, the sensing piece of it, despite the fact that we've had sensor technology for many years and, and the ability to fly on manned platforms. I'm, I'm mystified by, by the, the, uh, the lack of, of use of that, whether they don't see the benefits and just business as usual. But I think the uh, tremendous opportunities exist. And again, we, you know, we can barely get small systems in the air. Getting large chemical-laden uh, air platforms operating in the NAS is probably years away. But the fact is that the the requirement to to uh, dispense enormous quantities of chemicals and you know more precisely will be good uh, is going to require some very large systems, not the small systems that we see here in great number. And uh, we, we, as an industry, I think need to turn our attention to roboticization of larger platforms. We're seeing a little bit of that when you look at the OPVs that are here and have been developed historically over the years. That's that's where I think that it needs to go. I know there are platforms that are being used in other countries for uh, on a small scale to do crop dusting, for instance, that probably don't scale well in our kind of uh, Bread basket of America farm machine. We need to, to scale up, and that will come with time. But that's, right. that's kind of what I see. That's my perspective on it. And yeah, it's good to hear that buzz, and it's good that the ag community is welcoming this. And it's just tremendous that FAA is going to sort of uh, grandfather in. In effect, I, what I see FAA saying with respect to Mr. Farmer is you, you're now grandfathered, and, and you have the ability. To, to create your own uh, AMA, if you will, AMA-type field 
and operate under those kinds of constraints. I don't think you're you're going to see or the FAA is going to allow a farmer to acquire a stand eagle system and be able to do, you know, the kind of long-range flights that are needed to cover the vast tracts of farmland that we have. But on a smaller scale, sure, they, they should do that. And I think that the systems are becoming more viable and more affordable. And probably most important is the farm community is beginning to understand the benefits of how this works, you know, with the, how they'll be able to have more precision. So I'm, I'm excited about about this application. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I want to give Jeff a, a chance to jump in here because uh, Jeff is, uh, we've we've had conversations about this, and Jeff has done a lot of um, a, a lot of work in the ag field with smalls and kites. And, and please, uh, Jeff, give us your perspective on on ag use for this because I, I know people are all over the place with this. We've we've talked to a lot of people during the show, and and then they're like, oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna provide this service, Jeff, please. Okay, well, um, I think uh, first uh, Jay's comment about the uh, the larger systems coming online in in the the near future, hopefully, or the medium future. Um, that is that is um, I think a, a very interesting and and important area, and so, so uh, especially some of the larger uh, vertical lift capabilities kind of caught my attention in in that regard. Um, as far as the uh, precision ag piece, the use of these platforms by the by the farmers themselves. One thing that's going to have to be added is is the value of of interpretation. Uh, just simply having a picture may or may not uh, provide the the answer on on on, on what uh, on what to do. And oftentimes, Great. simply getting uh, a picture that may be in one or two additional bands, whether it's the thermal or the near-infrared, may also not point to the answer of exactly what to do. And so there has to be a lot of work that needs to be done on the um, the research, the the kind of um, frequencies uh, needed to, to overfly the field. Do you need to do it daily? Do you need to do it weekly? Uh, can you take... Uh, corrective action this year? Do you have to wait till next year to take that kind of correction act, uh, corrective action that's uh, that's affordable? And so the interpretation and the uh, the the resulting need to to do something, whether it's irrigation or pesticides or nutrients or change your crop or uh, those kind of decisions, um, still those tools are are just um not available you know at the touch of a button and um we need to uh we need to find out how how to get them to that to that state right um, and, and so it's a, it's a rich research opportunity i think especially for our university partners to oh, to look at those those applications taking the uh taking the data taking the the imagery and processing it and and coming up with algorithms and um and um you know procedures to follow if if you see the uh certain certain conditions i think patrick you alluded to uh your your malady book years ago which was which was a picture book of um of problems awesome awesome idea straightforward um but those kind of of products are are not yet available for people to fully take advantage of these systems right <laughs> Patrick, let me let me jump in and, and say something about that too. I think Jeff's absolutely right. 
that, and perhaps that's going to be one of the keys to getting greater acceptance and understanding of our technologies. But you know, simply a platform, simply a sensor, just doesn't do it. And we, we see it even in our DoD. And every time as we heard Dyke Lottery mm-hmm. say we're we're swimming in sensors and drowning in data, what we need is the analytics, and we need this, you know, the the spectrologists and the the agricultural engineering to be able to, to interpret this information. It's not about the platform. Ultimately, whether you're talking about imagery or or, uh, or, or spectral information about crops, it's the data. Um, and so we've got to be able to deliver the data to the consumer and um, whether, you know, they have to make their own conclusions about that. But I think if I were to, to counsel somebody on investing in the community, it's, sure, there's plenty of sensor technology, plenty of platform technology, but somebody needs to boil the information down so that it means something, so that it's actionable intelligence for the farm community. Right. Well, I kind of, I kind of equate it to it's kind of the cutting the corners on the the tech on the let's say flying technology. Same thing that people do. It's the same thing with the data. Uh, people are cutting corners because that's the hard part. I mean, it's yeah, the information it, it does deliver information cheap, you know, uh, raw information, but. The you know and here's part of the gold for the show is it's really what do you do with that data how do you interpret that data how do you make that data actionable and you, like like you just said Jay you can deliver all the pretty pictures in the world but what does that mean and Gene you you know you do the same thing when you go out on a search uh, you know you get the pictures I mean you don't just hand over raw pictures to people do you oh no that's uh, we learned our lesson a long time ago not to do that and uh, developed our own methods uh, for, for handling the data and disseminating the data because, you know, as everyone understands, there's a lot of it. How do you disseminate it? Uh, it's especially important in, a, in a, uh, a critical situation. But one of the things that I wanted to point out, getting back to the agribusiness end of it, is that we talk about this like it's Farmer Brown out there, you know, standing next to his wheat field. But back in 2006, one of the... the ventures that we went into was with a uh, company called Simplot. And Simplot is a very large agribusiness. They handled uh, millions and millions of acres from Washington to the Ohio Valley. And we built a prototype system for them. They were excited about it. They were going to do the imagery. They were going to develop those sorts of data things. And it was going to be a big deal. Those are the kind of companies that would go out and buy a Scan Eagle. Those are the kind of companies that would put out a squadron of unmanned aircraft over their millions of acres, and they would develop those sorts of data because it actually helped them produce more crops. So there is huge money there. There is interest there. And unfortunately, we lost out because legal they're legal, happened to get a hold of it and said, oh, my God, you can't fly these things over people. Are you kidding? And uh, the, the FAA backed them up on that, and that project went away. But there are very large agribusiness concerns that would love to have this technology. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, you know, the other part of that I think people need to kind of take into consideration is if, if you look at the, the envelope of um you know but what's coming down the pike here what's been discussed for the the v loss envelope um you know you're gonna get your money out of a scan eagle eh, you know that might be a little tough <laughs> no. 
No. Um, I think that's why they approached us on that deal, because we could do it. I mean, uh, an eight-foot aircraft is uh, pretty easy to fly, line of sight, and you can cover a lot of area. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, that was one thing. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and we're going to run a little long here, but that's okay, because uh, this is, you know, you're, you can always turn it off at your, t- at your leisure, whatever you want to do, or if you want to listen to some more. Um, I did want to talk about some of the stuff that's down on the floor, uh, innovations, and some of the things that we haven't really seen before. And, I, you know, I, Jeff, did you want to talk about some of the new technology that you saw? you'd like to talk about? Well, I uh, I must highlight the work by uh, Vanilla Aircraft for their ultra-long-range uh, uh, airplane. That was uh, developed under uh, SBIR, Small Business Innovation Research Program, um, for NASA uh, in conjunction with the Navy interest, and um, we're really looking forward to deploying this airplane for our Arctic research um Specifically, but it has uh, a lot of other potential applications, and so I think um, that was really exciting to see the the progress that they have they have made, and um, really looking forward to the uh, to the the flight tests that are are uh, coming coming soon. Yeah, it's a nice aircraft. Um, they they are working with the Navy. Um, you know, that was a group that I I used to be. Uh, work for and I'm I'm glad to see that's really you know uh, the technology is pretty cool I wish them the best of luck on that and I'm glad that they were able, actually able to get the two groups together to do that I, I think that that's uh, um, that was that was really cool and I know that uh, I know it'll be successful the plane looks really good and I'm, I'm I'm waiting to hear we'll definitely want to cover that when that happens Jay so, what have um, you seen oh, oh well, go ahead go ahead Jeff I uh, just wanted to also um, point out that in the ag area, uh, both uh, Field of View and the Tetracam folks were on the floor, and um, those are some instruments that the ag community may want to uh, take a look at for sure. Yep. We have yeah. one of those in our aircraft, and we've done a lot with them. And, yeah, they're they're really good, nice little cameras. Yeah, I want to uh, – I talked to them about maybe doing a uh, shed segment on the SUAS News. Um, I'd, I'd really like to get that out there. Um, you know, that's what – I mean, I try to tell them, too. We we had talked about that in the past, and, it, and we want to do all of this stuff. Again, it's uh, it's hard to nail it all down. Uh, we would like – I guess our, our eyes are bigger than our, our bellies on the, the technology side of this stuff. I'd like to – you know, do exposés on all this stuff, and eventually we'll get around to it. But uh, that that stuff was worth mentioning. But uh, Jay, what, what did you see on the floor that uh, interests you? Well, I think that one of the things that's apparent is the the uh, presence of the the states that are working for uh, FAA test sites. I know North Dakota has a large presence here, and the Dayton Development Group is, has a big presence here. Um, so there's clearly effort there to to try to land one of those sites. I was absolutely amazed at the, the number of, of uh, quadcopter-type systems that are there. Uh, it shows you the relatively low barrier to entry for, for getting into that market and the relative maturity of those kinds of systems and supporting technology. I think it looks uh, very promising for, for those applications. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Now, I got to fly one of the uh, the DJI offerings uh finally hooked up with them and Colin, and um, we've been kind of playing 
communication tag for a while, but uh, I don't know. They uh, they seem pretty interested in what we're doing, and uh, I had asked about getting uh, one of their I, I forget what that's called uh, the, the the big ship with the the gimbal and all the goodies and everything else. And I asked about getting one of those for to uh, kind of uh, check out and review. But I will say that their their technology is pretty impressive. I actually got to fly one of their offerings. Um, I, you know, to be honest, uh, I haven't flown a quadcopter before yesterday, uh, but I, I did like what I saw. Um, their their stuff looks pretty polished. I'm interested in, in doing more with them, and they seem to be interested in doing more on also advocacy and the regulatory side of things and supporting that effort. Which I'm, I uh, I applaud them on that. I, I really think the business community has to to get real and put some money into advocacy. I mean, now again with the EOR thing, I, I don't. I, I really think that the, that small business community needs to come together and advocate for themselves because I think there's a gaping hole there. Anybody uh, care to comment on that? Absolutely, Patrick. I think um, the small community. Uh, really, really has an opportunity here. One of the things that came out, for example, of the uh, privacy discussions, the panel session, was the need for some standards on what to do with the imagery as far as dissemination. How do we protect people's privacy? And it was suggested by, I think it was Greg McNeil of Pepperdine, that the uh, the industry could, could uh, take that on and develop standards so that people would be assured that their systems are not just uh, acquiring imagery that's going to go willy-nilly all over the all over the place, because um, there's a kind of a uh, beyond just a code of conduct, an actual standard that that people adhere to. So that's right. one area that I think uh, the the folks could could rally around. Well, and and you know I think that might be something too, like the the RCAP had best practices. I think that's something that we could do. I mean, most professional people are not wasting their time uh, out just flying. I mean, usually if it's if you're doing something on a business thing, it's you know time is money. I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I want to get the shots that I need to get paid. I'm not really you know worried about other stuff. Um, that was one thing I did. I mean, I've been doing a lot of um, let's say. Speaking, I did the uh, American Bar Association Symposium on Friday in San Francisco. Steve Morris was there. Uh, we did kind of talk about this. There's, there's, you know, a lot of fear from, let's say, the other side with broad, broad brushstrokes. You know, first slide of the EFF Foundation or the Electronic Freedom Foundation's presentation was a predator with, you know, Hellfire missiles on it. And, uh, and I don't think that that's. I see that picture. You know, I'm not really. I don't. I don't know anyone who's really advocating for that in the, let's say, CONUS in the United States, uh, from within the community. Um, I'm not advocating for that. I don't want that flying here. And really, when you when you start talking about commercial or even police use, I mean, I've tried to tell these people these systems are, you know, like Global Hawk. Yes, it's very robust. It's got tons of capabilities. Two hundred and fifty million dollars. You know, I live in a municipality where they're talking about closing schools and cutting services and I don't uh, I don't see where those systems are going to be in use they come back and they say oh well you know the price of this stuff is coming down well you know is it going to be come down from 250 million dollars a copy to you know 500 dollars I doubt it you know it's not they're not really viable systems but you know you know we, we need to work on that more I was also at the Capitol California uh, 
last week and, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, they're asking, I mean, wild questions. They had a guy from UC Merced who was talking about ag use and they're asking him questions like, can it see through walls? You know, can it track me? Can it do this? Can it do that? And I mean, that totally wasn't what he was there to speak about. They didn't have the right people. Um, I don't think, I mean, I could have answered all the questions, but I was not invited to speak on that deal. I, I did make a public comment. And I did say that, you know, we talk about STEM technology or STEM uh, school work. Uh, if you don't have the jobs on the other end, you can have all the STEM curriculum you want. But, you know, what are people going to do for jobs? And these this technology represents, I think, real jobs for real people. Not, you know, the I heard somebody else talk about these economic development uh, groups within, you know, different towns. And, you know, oh, you know, it's going to create 10 jobs, $150,000, blah, blah, blah. Great, let's get them in here and we can crow about it. But this, I think, uh, represents more than that. Anybody care to comment on those comments? I'll jump in. I, I think that, yeah, we've got to have more than industry pushing saying this is a great technology, it's going to cure cancer. What we need is a, a ground slow. We need the small user community to be more vocal, to explain what they can do. You know, it's, it's up to this point, it has been mostly about the high visibility and highly controversial uh, defense applications. And I don't know of anybody that wants yeah. to, you know, militarize aircraft, drones, unmanned aircraft in, in national airspace. Uh, we, we also need the, the potential user community. We need to hear some clamoring from the public safety sector. Uh, we, we hear a little bit of that. I know Chief Bowman in Arlington, Texas, has said, we, you know, we'll, we'll use a warrant. We'll act responsibly. We'll paint it bright green and put flashing lights on it. We're okay with that. We need the farming community to say, hey, we want that. We need to have a louder voice as an industry and, and to try to drown out some of these far-fetched, fanciful connotations of uh, drones in the national airspace spying on and shooting missiles on American people. That's that's not what we're about. That's not the future. And we just got to kind of bring it back to center. And totally two-thirds of Americans think that we should have unmanned aircraft for search and rescue. Yeah. What would it have been great? The, the young lady who was found up in the mountains uh, last week, wouldn't it have been great if we'd had the ability to use an unmanned aircraft for that kind of an application to be able to point to the positive attributes of what we're trying to do for, for the world. Well, you know, and I have to say that, you know, we as an industry rode the military side of it too hard for too long. And that was, I think that was a mistake that the, the industry made. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, and I'm not deriding the military or DOD use. Yeah. It has a place, but I think in all of that got lost you know, and then also the, the the change of policy of the FAA had that all got lost because you know people oh it's this military technology is coming back to um, coming back you know we're going to beat the swords into plowshares but you know we have enough experience on this call right now where people could say uh, we were using this technology for uh, let's say civilian uses for between us all here what you know what do we got. 50 years, 70 years of, of experience of, of non-military use. I, I know, Jay, you've been, you've been uh, developing systems for a long time, and we talked about some of these systems, but Jeff's been out here 
Jeff, I mean, how long? When when was the first? Wasn't your first project a an a uh, a UAS that was launched off of a hot air balloon because of battery technology or something? Maybe maybe just to give us like a you know nutshell view of that use and when. Well, the uh, the absolutely the first time I tr- I did a UAS was uh, I had a roof leak on my house and I hate ladders so I. Um, I had my friend build me an electric airplane with a camera on it, and that was uh, back in the oh the late night the late eighties. Um, and it did. I found the leak and uh, <laughs> it got it repaired, but it confirmed where where it was. And that yeah, sure enough, my roof was leaking. Well, then I started thinking about how to translate that that technology into carrying uh, atmospheric sensors because uh, one of the things we we really are trying to get a handle on is understanding our our uh, our planet it's it's a very complex complex set of systems and uh the the sensors understanding the energy uh understanding the energy cycle and the water cycle um you know it gives a lot of a lot of opportunities so i first started uh in formally in 93 within nasa uh 1993 launching from uh from tethered uh, helium helium uh, advertising blimps um, because yeah, even though we had 77 batteries on the airplane, uh, it weighed 20 pounds, but it, uh, it it didn't climb very well. So, um, but we were able to carry a, uh, two full suites of um, of uh, you know research instrument instrumentation to to look at uh, water vapor and uh, temperature profiles uh, specifically and compare uh, water vapor sensors since. That's a real challenge is is uh sensor development and that's where we started. Right, right. And uh, you know, Gene, I know you've been at this for a while. Oh yeah. Uh, I think probably between us we've got closer to a hundred years. I didn't mean to you know, tell anybody's age on that, but uh, uh yeah, it's uh, you know, we've been you know, we did our first mission in two thousand three. And uh, for search and rescue and uh, some other uh, photographic stuff. And then, of course, we've been flying or, or doing some flying since the early 80s. So, yeah, it's uh, there's, a, there's a lot of experience here just, just on this panel. Jay, when do I, you want to give us your, your start in, the, in this? Huh. I'm embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> I, in 1985... I was part of the team for Brandenburg Air Structures that flew on and off a Coast Guard cutter, U.S. Cutter Alert, uh, 30 miles off the coast of New Jersey. We launched an RPV with a Viticon camera and a ham transmitter and uh, took off and landed with a parafoil. It was the first ever parafoil recovery at sea. Flew my first ag mission from uh, Monsanto on the eastern shore of Maryland in 1993 and in 1995. <laughs> Flew for Hurricane Opal immediately after the hurricane went up to uh, the Pensacola uh, Gulf Shore, and uh, then subsequently did a series of newscasting flights off the coast of, of New Jersey, different shore town, every Friday during the summer of '95, uh, called Down the Shore, and we replaced a manned helicopter. And uh, the, the thing we had to look out for was gulls and and kite strings and the occasional banner plane that would dive down uh, below a thousand feet and, and get into our our airspace. I've seen a lot of civil and commercial um, opportunity, and I've, we've yet to realize it. And one of the key factors is going to be 
we've got to be cost effective. And I don't see how these expensive, complicated DOD systems are, are going to contribute in, in an environment where you've got to contribute to the bottom line of the farmer or the newscaster or whoever it is. And I think that's where the real promise for our industry lies is that we see innovation. We see a lot of pent-up capability that once it gets some traction and access, we're going to see a lot of changes in the way we perform uh, these kinds of business opportunities. I like the pent-up capability. That's a good one. Um, yeah, I you know I, uh, I I I agree with all of that. I mean, you guys are making good uh, good points. I I've been at. I think it started in 2003 with the Cracker Barrel taking photos with that. Uh, it's been a while. I agree with everything. I hope you know I've always been saying for years that the regulation's too onerous. I think we're going to to uh, you know damage this industry. And, you know, that was something that even Jay said earlier in the show is the, the why the farmers haven't embraced the sensors that are out there. Well, I think it's <clears throat> the cost to use the sensors. <clears throat> um, you know, if you're flying these, these sensors around in a manned aircraft, it costs a lot of money. And that is kind of the promise. And then it's also there's the translating. I mean, if you're not in the plane and you're, like, translating to somebody the, the, the information you want or whatever, that's another promise, I think, of the unmanned aircraft thing is it's more of a self-guided or self-directed data collection. I'm getting what I want because I'm putting the sensor where I want it. Um, a little bit little bit easier to control. But anyway, we have gone uh, over an hour, and I think we're going we're gonna to cut it there because we could probably have this conversation all day. Uh, with the experience that we have on this call. And I want to thank everyone for participating in this call. Um, and, and I think that your their views and input were great. And uh, the show has been great. Um, and maybe next year people should come out and check out the show. you got to come and check this one out at least once in your lifetime. So on that, we'll say goodbye for everyone. Thank you, uh, Jay and Jeff, for being on. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Gene. Thanks, Patrick. Hey, no problem. Great Gene, job. We'll uh, see you next yep. week. We'll see you everyone next week, and uh, have a good week. Keep your head down, Pat. See you. <laughs>